1: How many of you have ever been offended? (laughs) One of you. Okay, well, good. At least we have one person who's not lying. Um, Offenses will come, as they surely do. And when they do, you have a choice. How will you handle the offenses that come into your life? We all have moments where we are offended. Some of them are legitimate moments where we are truly hurt by what somebody has said or done to us. Woe to those who cause the offense to happen. It would be better for them if they had a millstone tied around their neck and they were thrown into the depths of the sea, Jesus says. But what about the one who's offended, the victim? What's their response? Well, if the person is repentant, they are to forgive. Well, what if it happens again and again and again and again and again? What do we do? Do we forgive? Jesus says, yes. In Matthew's gospel, he says, we offend, if you are offended or hurt by somebody, but somebody comes back to you and says, listen, I am so sorry, with a truly repentant heart, we are to forgive not once or twice, three times. But 70 times seven, according to Matthew's gospel. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 17, which we're, where we will be today, he says seven times. And I'll talk to you about the significance of the number seven in the Jewish tradition and in the early Christian church in just a moment. There are also offenses that come because of unmet expectations. When you have these unmet expectations, whether they're realistic or unrealistic expectations, we have an opportunity to be offended. Well, I thought it was going to go this way. Or I thought you were going to do this, but you didn't do this thing, right? We can get offended. We can get frustrated. How many of you get frustrated when things don't go your way? Okay, a few more of you. All right. And so when we get offended by things... We have a choice in the matter. We can hold on to it and let it become a seed of bitterness that sprouts up into something very ugly in our lives, or we can take care of it before it takes root. And then there are those offenses, not just by unmet expectations, but offenses where somebody hurts your feelings, but they had no clue they did it, all right? Or they, they say certain things. My, my mother-in-law, who will never watch this, right? Sarah Lee, where are you? She does not like the word fart. And some of you in here probably don't like that word too. And just me saying that from where I'm standing offended you. She doesn't like that. She doesn't like the word but. With two Ts, not one. And so as her favorite son-in-law, I often say those things around her, because I love her so much. Uh-huh. Been in the family for 22 years now, been around the family for 25 years. She's learned that about me, and she loves me in spite of my idiosyncrasies. But we have, get it, but, we have moments where we can be offended, Right? Maybe it's the way we were raised. We were raised with a certain set of values or a certain set of traditions. And when those traditions aren't fleshed out in every area of our lives, we get offended or upset about something. We live in a very woke culture. If you use the wrong pronouns or if you use the wrong language or words or whatever you might say, guess who gets offended? Any number of people. We have slid down this slippery slope of insanity to where everybody is offended over everything so much so that we can't even say a word without checking ourselves all the time. There is no freedom in that, that's called bondage. Now, if I'm truly setting out to offend you, it's wrong on my part, yes? But if I'm setting out with a sense of innocence and truly, maybe it's naivety on my part, and I'm not intending to hurt you, we can still be reconciled to each other if you say, listen, that that offended me, that hurt my feelings. Okay, well, let's deal with that. Because I don't want to offend or hurt your feelings. But there's this fine line between offense and hurt and truth. Does the truth hurt sometimes? Some of you believe that. Do you know how offensive the word of God is? In many circles, not just in our culture, but in our world, there are many times when the truth of the gospel is spoken into whatever community or group it is spoken into that people do get offended. But truth hurts sometimes. This is why Jesus and Paul tells us when we speak the truth as believers in Christ of the gospel of Christ, we are to speak it with love and gentleness. But I see a lot of people wielding the word of God like a battle axe. And that's wrong too. Because you can become a stumbling block. If you're using it, well, it's just truth, get over it, kind of mentality, you shouldn't be using it at all. The truth spoken in love still hurts, but at least it leads a person into the presence of an all-loving God who says, I love you where you are, but I love you enough to take you from where you are to where I need you or desire for you to be. And as believers in Christ, if we are willing to walk there or go there as the hands and feet and the body of Christ with a person, then it's different than standing on a street corner screaming epithets at people that are from the word of God with limited effectiveness. Have you heard the adage, I don't care how much you know, Oh, I'm going to blow this. I've totally forgotten it. Oh my gosh, do you ever have those moments? I don't care how much you know till I know how much you care. Something to that degree, right? Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, We'll edit that out. Actually, it's live live feed, isn't it? So we can't bring that back. All righty. Let's move on. I'm I'm intrigued as, as I was thinking about how to start. This was... There are messages that I preach and have preached over 22 years now that come easy. I mean, there are days where um, I give all of my printed print work and all that to Mary Lou, who is our front office assistant, to print up all of the stuff for the worship folders and those kind of things that you get on a regular basis. All the print material, sermon outlines, etc., come from my desk to hers, and she prints them out for you or puts them online. And... Uh, There are some days that whenever I am working on a sermon, it's not until Thursday that she gets that print material. I'm very astute. I'd love to get things in in a timely manner. Thursday is honestly too late at that point. But then there are certain days I'm like, I'm just cranking it out. It feels good. It's flowing. And I get stuff to her by Monday because I just got a real good handle on things. The spirit's moving. I just, the flow is happening. I'm just no writer's block, no nothing. This was not one of those sermons. And I dare say that any of the sermons in this series over the next six weeks are going to be like the one I prepared for today. I wrestled with this. Have you ever wrestled with a passage of Scripture, if you're a student of Scripture, where you're like, I don't like what it's saying? I don't like how it's coming across. I'm offended by what it's saying. And I've been a student of scripture for a while. I, I've studied the the, the the languages like Greek and Hebrew to try to make sure is that word really to be translated like that? And this was one of those. And it really rocked me to the core. Today, as we look at massive offense, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 and the first 10 verses. Came across this story of a little boy who was sitting on a park bench one day and this guy was coming down you know, the little sidewalk. This little boy's sitting out in front of his house on, this, uh, on the bench out by the park there and, and he just looks like he's in excruciating pain sitting on this park bench. And the guy says, son, is everything okay? You look like you're hurting. He's like, I'm sitting on a bumblebee right now. And he says, well, if you get up, It'll probably stop. He's like, but I think I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. So we continue to sit on this thing. But see, this is what we do, right? We get offended and we sit on it, right? My feelings get hurt, legitimately or not. And I'm sitting with it. And I'm not going to let go of it. I'm not going to forgive you for what you did to me. Even if you don't know you did something to me, I won't forgive you. And so we're sitting on that pain because we have somehow convinced ourselves that sitting with the pain and the unforgiveness somehow hurts the other person. This is going to be a really hard series for many of us, if not all of us, because We've all been offended. We've all been given opportunities to forgive. And I'm guessing some of us in this place have held on to unforgiveness for a long time. From hurts that maybe didn't just happen last week, but maybe happened way back when we were quite a bit younger. Let's go to the Word and see what Jesus says. One day, Jesus said to his disciples... There will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? All right, so let's pause there for a second. The word temptation in that passage is a word in Greek called scandalon. It's where we get scandalous from. When something is scandalous, it's something that's an offense or an affront against. That person or another. The word temptation in the New Living Translation, which I'm using today, is oftentimes translated in more literal translations as offenses. So if we read that again, it says, There will always be offenses that come, but what sorrow awaits a person who does the offending? What is a fence? What is it? Is a scandalon? It's, it's actually equally translated as trap or snare. If you're a hunter and you set traps or snares, or let's figure you're a fisherman, what is the hook with the bait on it? It's a trap for a fish. If the fish bites the bait, hopefully you get the hook set, you get to catch the fish. This is the same word used here, scandalon, bait. Snare, trap, temptation. That's exactly what temptation is. It's something set, hey, this looks good. You want to do it? And if you do it, then you find yourself getting caught in the trap of temptation or offense. Verse two, Jesus says, It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourself. So, what's a millstone? if you've ever worked in a, in a mill that grinds weed or anything like that, in the old days, they used to have these huge stone wheels with a hole in the middle and, and a, like a cog that would fit in a notch. And then they would have donkeys tied to these long posts that would pull this millstone around in this large basin that, where you would pour the grain inside of, and it would eventually just grind it into a powdery substance. They did this in Jesus' day. And these stones could be I mean super huge and large. If you had one tied around your neck and you're thrown into the sea, you're not coming back up. It's not just a small stone. This is a large grinding stone. Jesus says, if you are the one doing the tempting or the offending, it would be better for you if you died a horrible, tragic death. What sorrow awaits people who cause others to stumble? Now, it's a whole other message in and of itself. I could cause people to stumble unintentionally, which is why it's so important that I know what I know and do what I do for the glory of Christ so that I don't cause others to stumble. But do you catch the the caveat here? What's going on? Jesus gives us in the next part of verse 3, The context for all of this. He says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. And then if there's repentance, forgive. If who offends or sins? Another believer. believer. So this is why I struggled with this this week. Because this is what we call a conditional statement. It's an if-then statement. If someone sins against you, but they come and repent... Then forgive them. What if they don't repent? Then I don't have to forgive? Is that what it's saying? We're gonna unpack that today. My longest point is my first point today. I may only get to my first point today. We're gonna to get to that in a moment. Verse four even if that person wrongs you seven times, when? In a day. In a day. Seven times in a day. Jim Checkeye, one of our board members down here. If I hurt him intentionally by saying something to him that's inappropriate or doing something toward him that isn't a true offense, but then I come back and say, Jim, I realize what I did was so wrong. Will you forgive me? What does Jesus say he has to do? (laughs) So it's this, I'm the offender, but if I come back and I say, Jim, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Now, one time is one thing. How many times did Jesus say, do you catch the hyperbole? Do you see what he's doing here? See, the number seven in Jewish culture means something significant. The number seven is a number of completion. Number six is a number for man. Number three is a number of perfection or wholeness. The number 40, which you see oftentimes in Scripture, is a time of testing. But number seven is a number of completeness. Jesus uses these numbers a lot because the audience in which he's speaking will understand the context. So number seven Completion. He says, if a person comes back to you and harms you seven times in a day, he's saying, well, what if it happens eight times? You don't have to? No. He's saying, if somebody, if somebody harms you, but then they repent, truly, sincerely repent and come to you for an apology, even seven times within a day, you've got you to forgive completely. This isn't fair. This is so countercultural, isn't it? This is not what the world tells us. The world tells us quite the contrary. If somebody offends you, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's the methodology, the motto of the world. I may give you one chance, but the second chance, no way. Jesus is saying, this isn't the way it is in his kingdom. If the offender comes to you, Does this feel good? Can I pause here for a second? Those of you at home too. Does this feel good? (laughs) It doesn't. See, this is why scripture oftentimes is offensive, even to believers. Not just to unbelievers, because we're like, I don't like that. And so we skip over the parts we don't like. You can't do that. You are not allowed to skip over parts. I'm sorry. It's either the whole word or nothing. And Jesus, who was the Word made flesh and dwelled among us, it's either all of Him or nothing. You can't have 99.9% of Him and the other 0.01% yours. It's all or nothing. You see, this is why it was so hard to follow Jesus in those days. It's simply, it's still as hard to follow Him today. Because we like to pick and choose the things we like. We love the forgiving Jesus who forgives all of our sin. We don't like the God of the Old Testament who's wrathful and judgment and blah, 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 blah. I contend it's the same God across all books of the Bible. And those with eyes to see and ears to hear could see the truth of the body excuse me of the of, of the realistic nature of who God is, that He is love. When I read passages like this, I'm like, well there's the God of the Old Testament. Here's a, here's a line in the sand. Do this, don't do this. These are the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt's if someone comes and offends you, not once, not twice, but seven times into the day, and they repent of it every time, you are to forgive them. You know what the response of the apostles are, the disciples, the 12? What's it say? Show us how to increase our faith. Because they just heard Jesus speak this, and they're like, no way. No way. You're going to have to give us more faith to do this. There's no way, Jesus, we can do this. And some of you were probably thinking that or singing under your breath just a moment ago. And if we had been in that circle with Jesus 12 that day, we would have been saying, oh, you got to show us how to increase our faith. I mean, Jesus, we love you. We've given up everything to follow you. We are all in. But this is over the top. I mean, we have faith that we've left everything to follow you, but we need more. This is heavy stuff. And Jesus answered them. Listen to what he says. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In the other Gospels, Jesus says about this same subject, You could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would move. Is it faith you can muster, or is it the faith that God gives? See, when Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, it's one of the smallest seeds on the planet. Not the smallest, but one of the smallest. And the interesting thing about that seed is, It's nothing if it's just a seed, but when it's planted and it's nurtured, guess what it grows into? A huge plant. See, we we get this mentality, I think, oftentimes in the church, that I got the faith of a mustard seed, that's all I need. I carry the mustard seed around, see? No, you got to plant it and let it grow. And Jesus says, if you have the faith that small in me, that's enough because you don't have enough within you to do this. This is what it's saying. Jesus is saying, there's, if you have faith in me, I'm the one that can do this through you. But if you don't have faith, not even of a mustard seed in me, then it's impossible. You just can't do it. So what are you gonna do? Mulberry tree is a huge tree in that culture which is when Jesus is using these visual illustrations, he's saying to this, if you had a faith of a mustard seed, this little bitty tiny thing, you could say to this huge tree, be uprooted, not cut off at the base, but every network of the root system, uprooted and thrown into the sea. See, Jesus is telling us, we have to have him in order to forgive like this. I fear that many of our churches and our culture maybe even across the globe are held in bondage to offense and unforgiveness. This is where you see grouchy, hateful Christians. You ever met a you ever met a professed believer in Christ who's hateful and mean? It's okay to raise your hand on this one because we're not calling out names and don't look across the aisle at anybody. Mrs. Kennedy I'm just kidding. i sorry. I just saw you over there. Woohoo! All right. Um, welcome. <laughs> if you have the faith of this mustard seed in Christ, there's nothing you cannot do. And listen to what he goes on to say. When a servant, and this was, this was hard for me too. <sighs> Think about this. All right. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No. He actually says, Prepare a meal and put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he is told to do? Of course not. And this is the kicker. <laughs> You ready? Buckle up. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, We are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) Do you catch that? Who's the master in this relationship between us and God? And what is he saying? Do what I tell you to do and don't expect to thank you. That's not the Jesus I serve. He's the meek and mild. He's very frail in the pictures and he looks like a a cherub. He's a sweet little fella. (laughs) He would never be that way. What do we do with this? That's why I'm telling you this was a hard one for me this week. I've read this before. But I pulled the blinders off, I guess, and I was reading it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! When you really, when you're studying to teach something, you really dig in and you're unpacking all of them. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! What does that word? What is? What does this really mean? I haven't even gotten to my key point. Let me say this: being offended steals peace like no other thing in the world. It's the enemy's greatest tool against us. Let me jump into this because here's the part of this in order to understand how to let go of offenses and learn to forgive the way we have been forgiven, we have to first off be aware of the offense. You have to be aware of the offense. Sometimes we get offended and because it's such a part of our nature to be hurt a lot, maybe we're super sensitive, maybe you're not, maybe somebody, and you don't realize you're offended. And you, you've started, you're grumpy, you're grouchy, and it's not because you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but it's because somebody's done something, but you've not been able to really articulate why, and it's been weeks, months, maybe even years, and you're like, oh my gosh. Why am I such a cantankerous little thing? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to be rated G. Why am I in a bad mood? If you're a believer in Christ, you've maybe done this. Lord, I don't know why I'm so crappy. I mean, I feel okay. Physically, I'm okay. I mean, I I don't have any aches or pains. Yeah, I don't really like my job, but it doesn't rule my life. Uh, And then, if you truly are seeking, God will say, if you're willing to listen, there's this thing that happened to you here. And you never dealt with it. There has to be an awareness of the offense. And when God reveals that to you, it gives you a choice. Sometimes we are revealed immediately when an offense happens. But sometimes something may rub us the wrong way. and, And we don't think too much about it. But it takes root in us. And then later on down the road... We've carried that, and and, and that that seed of offense has been nurtured into not just an irritation, but into a large growing plant of dissension. When the awareness comes, we have a choice. What are we going to do with it? There's one significant, significant caveat to all of this. That as a believer in Christ, you are not to have any seeds of bitterness. Nor are you allowed to take revenge. We don't like to hear that either. We don't like to hear that we cannot take revenge. If somebody hurts me, what do I want to do? What is my instinct? I'm going to hurt you back just as bad as you hurt me. Or I will passive-aggressively snub you. And not really give you anything. Jesus gives stern warnings for both, the offender and the offended. In the case of the offender, the tempter, Jesus says, there's great sorrow that awaits them. There's not great sorrow that awaits the offender who is repentant, though. This so is what Jesus says, if the offender comes to you, even seven times in a day after they've offended you, and they realize they're wrong, and they come to you and they say, please, will you forgive me? <laughs> I messed up. I don't know. I, 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 it's this: the things I know I should do, I don't do, and the things I don't do that I should do, I don't do. I mean, it's just what a wretched person I am. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. So this is called Reconciliation. Reconciliation, which is what believers in Christ have been given the ministry of. Forgiveness in the heart is not forgiveness received if there's no repentance. Do you see? Let's talk about that for a minute. It's this if-then statement I was talking about a little while ago. If someone sins against you, but they come and repent then you forgive. If then. This was a tough one for me. How do we we unpack this? Because we are to have a sense of forgiveness in us, right? But if a person will not receive the forgiveness I offer, then they reject the forgiveness I give. Does this make sense? Hello? No. No? All right, let me try to unpack it a little bit better. Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of sin. He offers forgiveness. Do does everybody receive the forgiveness he offers? No, he does no, not everybody. Is the forgiveness for everybody? Yes. Does everybody receive it? No, thank you. I've been here for 9 years. This is really tough. All right. If you do not receive forgiveness, then there is a wedge in the relationship, or there is no relationship. As representatives of Jesus, forgiveness has to be saturated in our lives, even if the person rejects it. you ever done this? you ever done this? If somebody's hurt you, and you're the believer, and you go to them, and you say, <laughs> John Bevere does this in one of his videos. I'm not trying to emulate him, but I forgive you for what you did to me. You ever done that? You did this, this, and this, and I forgive you. You ever done that? You ever had anybody do that to you? Um. Wouldn't it be funny if Jesus was on the cross and the words that we have recorded were, you did this and this and this, but I forgive you. (laughs) But that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? If you have forgiveness in your heart, somebody may reject it. That does not give you license then to say, well, fine. No, we should still have that offer of forgiveness open. We should still have a love for our enemies. We should do good and pray for those who persecute us. There is no if or then in that regard. The forgiveness needs to be freely offered. But the one who isn't repentant will not receive that forgiveness, and so they reject it. You see what Jesus is saying here? If they do this and they're repentant, you have to forgive them. But you also must have an offer of forgiveness in your heart regardless. Because if they don't repent, that shouldn't weigh you down. You've heard me say this, and it's not new to me, but harboring unforgiveness in your life is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to get hurt. Have you heard that before? Or it's like the boy in the beginning of the story of the sermon that was sitting on the bumblebee, and he thinks, I'm bigger. I must be hurting him more than he's hurting me, right? But you're still in pain. Oh, yeah, you're going to keep hurting me. I'm going to hurt you, too, right? And we grit our teeth. Now, this came out in our leadership. So we went through this material with all of our small group leaders before we're launching it with you guys great conversation it was hard because we're wrestling with these issues well does that mean I just go back to the one who's hurt me and keep subjecting myself to hurt no you should use wisdom but if the person hurts you And then they say, please forgive me. It sounds like an abusive relationship, right? Sounds like an abusing spouse who abuses the other spouse. And they're like, honey, I'm so sorry. I will never do that again. I don't know what came over me. And then you come back. No, there is a healthy balance here. You do not need to continue to subject yourself to perpetual and continual abuse. But you should have a heart of forgiveness. Do you hear me? One of you does. All right. Next point. The measure of faith. Actually, let's go back to, before we get to that, let's consider the word of James real quick. Before we get to James, there's one, sorry, let me, let me. Are you still with me? Because I feel this is, Okay, let's get back. Okay, we're good. All right. uh, Just as the tempter or the offender should be aware of their own actions which lead them to destruction. Again, let let me restate this. The victim or the offended has to be aware that becoming entrapped by the sin of offense and unforgiveness will lead them to destruction as well. All right. So, the offender... It would be better for them if they were thrown into a big sea with a millstone tied around their neck. But the offended who doesn't forgive, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven by the Father. That's heavy stuff. It's not something we like to hear, right? Jesus, you're going to forgive me no matter what. Well, not if you don't forgive somebody else their sins. The Words of James, chapter one. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Endure, not give in to. Do you hear that? Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So if you endure temptation and offenses, doesn't mean roll over and take it, but it means to have a sense of forgiveness, to not give into to the temptation to harbor offense or anger or anything in you toward another person that would also separate you from God. If you endure that kind of test, you will receive a crown of life that God's promised. And remember, when you are being tempted, James says, don't say God is tempting me. Because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Here's when temptation comes. Listen, temptation comes from your own desires, which entice and drag you away. These desires give birth to what? Sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, what does it give birth to? Death. So temptation coming our way or offense coming our way gives us a choice. We can allow it to take root so that we then harbor unforgiveness toward another person. But if we endure it with an open willingness to forgive and be reconciled, then we don't allow that seed of offense to take root in our lives. Because if it does, it inevitably grows into an action of sin. And that action of sin, if unrepentant on our part, leads to death. It's dangerous stuff, not to be messed with. So, now, measure of faith. Let's look at this real quick. It's interesting that after the few verses of this chapter, Jesus' followers ask him how they can strengthen their faith. And what does he say? Mustard seed faith can move a mulberry tree, or in the other gospels, a mountain. The sheer improbability of your being able to forgive like this, our screen keeps coming up and down. I'm sorry. I know you see it because I see it. It's just speaking. We've had technical difficulties today. God bless you. Whoa. All righty. It's not, our te- it's not our tech team, it's our devices. So could you give our tech team a round of applause? They do an amazing job. They really do. And they are behind the scenes. And when stuff like this happens, they go, oh, no, not again. So it's just the way it works. Please give them a, a bit of grace. All right. Let me get back on track here. The question of faith should not be on the individual but on Christ. Lord, give us faith. It's not about being given faith. It's about who the object of your faith is in or what the object of your faith is in. And that's the question today. Where is the object or the focus of your faith? Lord, increase our faith. And he says, here I am. Right? That's basically what he's getting at. It's not about increasing your faith, it's about putting your faith in me, Jesus says. Who is your faith in? If your faith is in you, then yeah you're going to need an increase because there's no way that you can do this in and of your own strength. But if your faith is in Christ then through him and through him in you you can do immeasurably more than you could ever conceive or imagine. You see with Christ in us. We are shielded in some sense. If we truly are rooted in Christ, nothing of offense can take root in us. Let me say that again. When you are truly surrendered and rooted in Christ, then offense and temptation cannot take root in you. Do you hear me? If your faith is in you, You're going to stumble and fall because you are imperfect. If your faith is in your husband or your wife, and though you should have faith in them to a degree, but not like this, your faith must be in Christ. See, this is how we justify sin, isn't it? When somebody hurts us, even the ones we love the most, then it justifies us doing X, Y, or Z. Well, if they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. That's not how this works. When you are a new creation in Christ Jesus and you are rooted in him, it's totally different. Or at least it should be. It's the measure of faith in Christ, not the measure of faith in yourself that matters. And this is the tough one. I want to take a couple minutes to really talk about this, this life of humility. Because it's like Jesus tacks this last thing on here and you, and you do kind of just step back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about here? Let me read this again. When a servant comes in for plowing and taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come on in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put your apron on and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he's told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, You should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. (laughs) That is tough. Because you know how often in two decades of ministry I've heard people say, I've done this for the Lord, I've done this for the Lord, I've done this for the Lord, and look what I get. Maybe you've said that. Lord, I've served you all this time. Are you serious? Why is all this stuff happening to me? Why am I being pushed against them? Why am I backed up in a corner? But we forget or we neglect to remember where Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles of many kinds. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, when they did stuff for the synagogue or the temple when they really wanted to strut out their stuff, they would stand on street corners and pray. They'd pray, really, Lord, "Oh Lord, do you hear me? I beseech thee, of course they were speaking in Aramaic or Greek at the time, or maybe even Hebrew. I'm just giving it the Elizabethan King James Version, okay? Oh Lord, do you hear me? I beseech you with all that is in me. So they would do this and stand on the street corners and they would pray to be heard by everybody else. And we get this indication of Jesus is they're not praying to me, they're praying to be heard. And I don't hear the prayers of the people that pray to be heard. I hear the prayers of the people who are truly humble before me and desire to really hear from me. And sometimes God hears your prayers even when you don't mean to pray them to him, because he hears the groanings of your own spirit at times. But if you're standing there to be seen and heard, <clears throat> and then you're seen and heard, and you get the accolades of, oh, they, are, they pray really good. They're, they must be very spiritual. And it's fun whenever you're in a class or something like that, and, 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 and the teacher, usually me, says, hey, would somebody close us some in prayer? Don't make eye contact with me, please. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. He's going to look in my eyes. No, no, right? Would somebody close? I'm already praying. Don't call on me, right? But that's what we do. See, Jesus hears the prayers of the truly humble, repentant heart. He doesn't expect you to be flowery or use all these big words. He just expects you to come before him honestly and openly. What about those religious leaders who would give a ton of their money? Clang, 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 because they had these giving cylinders or or jars at the entrance of different places in the temple, kind of like we do now, these little drop boxes. And those offerings would be given. And they had coin money. They didn't have paper money in those days. And coins, when they fall into a jar that's three to four feet high, make a loud noise when they clang inside of a clay jar clang, 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 clang. And so they would come and they would offer all of that. And they would want to be. Is anybody seeing what I'm giving? You seeing this? Cling, 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 cling. Look at me. Jesus notices a widower. Or, excuse me, a widow woman one day. And he says to his disciples, Hey, guys, come here. Come here. Look. And he sees this widow lady, probably not dressed well because widows didn't have a lot unless they were cared for by a family member. She had what are called mites, and those aren't lice in the hair, those are coins. They're little bitty copper coins, about the half the size of a penny. She gave two of them. Jesus said, look, guys, did you see? Check this out. And you can hear this clang, clang, clang over here, clang, clang. And I'm guessing they're looking at the clang, clang. No, no, no. See this lady. You see her? And what she put in didn't even make a noise in the midst of all the chaos. You see what she gave What she gave was by far more important than what anybody else has given. See, they only gave a portion of what they had, and that's what we do. We like to give Jesus a portion. Jesus, I'll give you Sunday mornings, maybe, if I'm not on vacation or if I feel like it. Or Jesus, I'll give you you 5% or 10%, or I'll give you a couple percent in the offering, but... We don't like to talk about Brandon. You're going too far. Right? See, Jesus is saying they, they're giving out of the abundance of what they have. What did he say she gave? How much percent is that? $500, somebody said. 100%, yes. Did Jesus put a percent on any of that? See, they gave. They, they did. Be careful when I say this Because I hate talking about money I just want you to know that You will rarely hear me talk about tithing We've got three sermons coming up in October About it Don't check out on me But I hate talking about it But do you catch what he's saying She didn't come to be noticed Obviously Because who would notice Two mites but She gave 100% of what she had they gave out of the abundance of what they have. They didn't give till it hurt. She gave 100 percent. Now as it's it's, this isn't Jesus saying, "So here's a prescription for you. You should give your whole paycheck to the church." No. It's about sacrifice. It's about cheerful giving. It's about giving not to be seen, but giving out of the nature of generosity to God. You see, without humility, no one can enter the presence of God. Do you understand that? See, in Hebrews, we are told by the writer of Hebrews that because of what Jesus did, we can enter the throne room of grace. That means where God's throne is, we are now allowed to approach it. Whereas the high priest in the Jewish custom was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on behalf of the people, that curtain was torn in two that separated that space from the general public when Jesus died on the cross. We now, because of Christ, are able to enter the throne room of grace with boldness, or some translations say with confidence, but never with arrogance. Arrogance. I can be confident because of what Christ has done for me that when I enter into that holy place with God, whether it's through worship or prayer or even the way I do my work as an act of worship, that I can enter that throne room with confidence but with humility as well. 1 Peter Five, six through nine. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls like a lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. A buddy of mine passed away a few years ago, and Karen and Keith, I'm sorry to bring him up, but Steve Batchelor, became good friends over the years, and I'm getting ready to read you an illustration that struck his heart so hard. Every time he would talk to me about this illustration, he would tear up. But I want you to hear this illustration. You probably heard me say it again, but I want to talk to you about this not from the point of, of um, yeah, actually sliding into temptation to sin, but sliding into temptation to not forgive, which is also sin. So listen to this. There's, you remember uh, Paul Harvey, some of you, <clears throat> Radio personality, uh, very very amazing radio personality would give stories to close out um, his radio programs a lot or just give you some thoughts. and he, He gave this story once uh, of how an Eskimo kills a wolf, or we call them Inuit peoples now. I don't want to offend anybody or Native Alaskan Americans. All right, the account's actually pretty grisly, so plug your ears if you don't want to hear something nasty. All right, first, the Eskimo will coat a knife with animal blood, and because they are in frigid temperatures, they will allow it to freeze. It's like, have you ever seen a candle maker? Yes. They dip the wick in and pull it out. Wait a few, uh, few seconds till it semi-hardens. They'll dip it in. And you layer and layer and layer. So this Eskimo or this Inuit person will drop this knife blade into the and let it freeze and, until it's coated with this thick layer of blood all the way around it, they will then affix the butt end of this knife into the ground, blade up in a way that is secure. The wolf then comes along and begins to lick the blood, the frozen blood, off of this knife. And he's licking fever. She could taste the blood, and he continues to lick and taste the blood and lick and lick and lick until he's now down to the blade, which has been super sharpened. And the blood he thought he was tasting on the knife, which wasn't his own, is now his own, as he's licking and licking, and his tongue is being cut. I'm sorry, it's really gruesome, and they bleed to death. It's true. See, this is what offense does. This is what temptation to sin does. You harbor these offenses. For some reason, you have justified in yourself that the sin that you harbor against somebody else or against God is right. You've justified it. This is, this is right. And you taste the bitterness. And you may get even some sick satisfaction out of the bitterness because it feels right in the moment to hold on to it until you realize that it's not hurting anyone else but you. And it will separate you for eternity from the one who loves you and gave himself for you. When we do not forgive someone of their offenses toward us, we are in essence saying, God, do not forgive me either. But you cannot continue in a lifestyle of bitterness and hatred toward another person and expect to gain a hearing from God. That's not the way God's government and his kingdom works. As our worship team comes forward today, I, I honestly I honestly struggle. Again, I struggle with this message. Because these kind of messages are not easy to, to tell a group of people or even anybody that's going to be watching online. Because that's not the kind of Jesus we love. Who tells us to forgive when we've been hurt over and over again? Yes, because it becomes an anchor to your soul, which will sink you into this deep destruction and separation from God. And who is your faith in? If your faith is in anyone other than Christ, then you're basically building on shifting sand. And what does Jesus tell us about a building built on sand and not on the firm rock and foundation who is Christ? When the waves and the winds come, it's going to crumble. Only faith in Christ will sustain you. And what about humility? Just the sheer fact that God offers grace through Christ should be enough. Well, I gotta get another jewel in my crown. I'm gonna get a bigger mansion and oh, that stuff, come on. Just to be able to step into that place should be enough. When we think of hierarchy and rewards in heaven, just the reward to not go to hell should be enough. And when you do the right thing, you shouldn't expect accolades. It should be because you're doing the right thing. Christians, believers in Christ, I'm talking to you right now. Well, they just never honored me. They never, what are you doing it for? Do you think I'm a pastor because of all the accolades I get? I get some, but you don't hear the other stuff. I mean, honestly, I don't think I'm going to get another notch in my belt in heaven. There's a soul for Jesus. You got a gunslinging Jesus, you know? No. It's about complete sermon. It's never about me. It's always about him. That's the way it should be. I'm going to pray over you. If you have offenses that you've never let go of, and maybe this sermon has offended you and you need to forgive me, or Jesus, or God, or somebody else. Don't shoot the messenger. These altars are always open. If there's something blocking your relationship with the Almighty God, what are you you doing? (laughs) What's holding you back, honestly? It's going to be uncomfortable to uproot something that has taken such deep root in your life. Hurts and pains that have taken over Parts of us that without them in us would leave a gaping hole. Well, that gaping hole that is left when you take that offense or unforgiveness out can be filled with the love of Christ. Father, in this place, as always, I pray that you would be glorified. But a part of the glorification of Jesus is forgiving. As we have been forgiven. Oh, Lord, none of us are perfect. We know that. I don't know why we try to expect others to be perfect around us. And though we shouldn't be expecting perfection, we should be expecting holiness. We should be expecting love. God, when those things don't come, Help us to not harbor offense, but to always be open in forgiveness. As much as it depends on us, help us to live at peace with one another. I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.